Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are now tuned in to the Jags Den Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire, brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group, and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 52 of the Jags Den Podcast. Of course, I am your host and managing editor of the Jaguars Wire, James Johnson. And of course, you all know the site, which is www.jaguarswire.usatoday.com. As I said, another episode of the Jags Den Podcast here, which is the number one Jaguars podcast on the airways, at least in our eyes and the official Jaguars podcast for the Jaguars wires. So uh, all of that said, Phil and uh, Jacob couldn't join me today. Uh, Jacob just texted me and he said he's actually refing a kickball game. So uh, we'll have him on later as well as Phil, who is probably asleep right now. Uh, the first thing he does, and it's 10 o'clock right now, 10.04 to be exact, uh, after work, the first thing he does is go to sleep and one couldn't blame him after a long, strenuous day of work. So uh, that being said, you know, we'll catch up with them later, have them on later and, uh, you know, hopefully go, quote unquote, full pads with the full squad. So all of that said, uh, we have various handles you can follow us under at the Jags Den Podcast or at Jags Den Podcast on Twitter for the Jags Den Podcast at the Jaguars Wire for the Jaguars Wire on Twitter. And we all have personal handles as well. Mine is Sports Grind underscore done on Twitter. Phil's is Phil the Filipino. That's F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And then, of course, Jacobs is J or, or excuse me, um, underscore Jadella is where you can find Jacob's handle. So feel free to follow us all, throw us some follows, and uh, help us get this podcast uh, up there in the rankings, which, again, we've been doing pretty good numbers. We appreciate all, all the support. Uh, but for those of you who uh, aren't following us, feel free to check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Of course, the most important of those is iTunes. So rate, comment, subscribe, share with a friend, this, that, and the other for all of the iTunes and Apple's, uh, Apple users. And also, of course, you can find us on the Audio Boom Network, uh, which is an interface in which uh, the whole USA Today Sports Wire podcast network is on. So feel free to check us out there. And also check out our various other comrades who are on the USA Today Sports Wire podcast network. So all of that said, we're going to get right into it. Uh, quick hits real quick. Again, it's Thursday, October the 10th, 10.06 uh, p.m. right now. Thursday night football is on, if I haven't said that. And it was knotted up at 14 to 14, the New England Patriots and the New York Giants. And uh, that's that's kind of surprising there. So maybe I should hurry up and wrap this up so I could check that out. But uh, that being said, in terms of the quick hits, uh, one of the articles I broke this morning or it might have been this afternoon. Uh, Shaq Khan says he has met with disgruntled cornerback Jalen Ramsey uh, a few days ago. 
And uh, shout outs to Dilla, who actually reported that beforehand that the two had met. And uh, yeah, he expects, and this is Shad Khan here, he expects Jalen to play uh, against the Saints, or he, at least he believes he will play against the Saints this Sunday, uh, which that'll take place on the 13th, if I'm not mistaken, if my math is right. And uh, he says the interview or the meeting between the two, should I say, was a quote-unquote heart-to-heart meeting. Um, looks like it was probably productive and, um, you know, th- I don't want to say productive because we weren't behind the closed doors, but it, it looks like each side get got to speak their piece and we'll see what Jalen actually does in terms of playing or taking the field. But um, however, Josina Anderson of ESPN came in to um, basically give her side or, or, or tell the world what her sources are saying after that was released. And that came from the street, by the way, that the two had a meeting. And uh, yeah, she came out to say that Jalen will listen to his uh, body, quote unquote, which, you know, he's dealing with the back injury uh, allegedly. So, you know, he's been on an injury report the last two weeks for that. And uh, that's what she was referring to in terms of that. And uh, that being said, Ramsey has practiced on a limited basis. If I can recall, I think Mark Lone said on the Black and Teal Blitz that it for Ramsey on Wednesday, it was as limited as it can get, really. Uh, he, he spent very little time from what I gathered uh in terms of practicing with the team and position drills. And then he went on to practice with the trainers. Uh, So that was on Wednesday, Uh, Thursday. He was limited. Nobody really has reported what went on Thursday in terms of how he practiced or what kind of capacity he was. It's just uh, known that he was limited based off of the uh, injury report or the various injury reports from uh, D rock and uh, you know, John Ozier, the team's official site, uh, and and Howman and all of those guys. So two days of straight limited practices, you know, people are beginning to wonder if he's eyeing a return, you know, uh, because ultimately Doug Marone, the way he's making it seem uh, or how he's how he's been putting it out there in the press conferences is that basically, you know, it's, it's up to Jalen as to how he feels as to if he will return, which I mean, that makes sense because only a player knows their body in terms of, you know, an injury, if it, there is an injury indeed. So that being said, uh, you know, nobody knows if this thing is, you know, is if it, the stare down is going to end, so to speak, between Khan and, and Ramsey, uh, you know, nobody knows what will happen on Friday for that matter um, when the final injury report comes out. Maybe he'll go full. Who knows? Uh, but right now, uh, there's still some uncertainty there, although he has taken the practice field on a very limited basis, at least from what we know on Wednesday. And then Josina uh, throws in her, her information. And then now we're kind of back to square one, wondering, you know, if he'll take the field or not. So that's the latest on the Jalen Ramsey situation. And uh, the next quick hit, I, quick hit I wanted to get into was um, tight end James O'Shaughnessy, as everybody is well aware tore his ACL against the Carolina Panthers this Sunday. So unfortunate. We're going to send some prayers up for James and hope he recovers well and um, hope everything goes well in terms of surgery if he hasn't already had it. Per Ian Rappaport, it was a um, clean tear. So, you know, we'll see. uh, We'll we'll know later down the road, you know, how surgery, this, that, and the other went from the team. I'm sure Marone will give us the latest on that and, uh, you know, check uh, the the reporters the beat reporters there the local beat reporters will be sure to check in on O'Shaughnessy and find out the latest in terms of his situation 
Uh, but that led to the Jaguars bringing back Ben Koyak, tight end, who they drafted, if I'm not mistaken, it was like in 2015, a seventh round out of Notre Dame. And if I can recall, um, yeah, it was probably 2015. Me and my boy, uh, shout outs to Nick, who occasionally writes with the Jaguars Wire, aka Coach Tris. Uh, but me and him, uh, we went to the Senior Bowl the year that the Jaguars were actually coaching it. One of the years they were coaching it with Gus Bradley. And uh, Dave Caldwell was the GM then, was the only guy really, I mean, the main guy in the front office at the time. And, uh, yeah, I remember uh, seeing Ben Koyak there, and uh, just that size kind of stood out. It was just kind of random memory. Uh, I just wanted to throw out there on Ben Koyak. But, uh, yeah, he's a he's a guy that probably knows the system. Uh, he spent the summer with them, so he knows a great deal about the Flippo system. He spent time with the team last year as well before the Flippo got here, so – uh, you know, he's very familiar with everything, adds depth to that tight end position. Uh, but hopefully, you know, Josh Oliver returns, who he's been battling his hamstring injury, which he sustained in the beginning of training camp uh, to uh, kind of give the the Jags that elite athlete, if you will. Not that I'm saying O'Shaughnessy was an elite athlete, but, um, you know, what I'm saying is basically Oliver – uh, probably can fill that void, albeit it'll be his first game if he returns coming back. He can fill that void quicker than you would expect, say, a Ben Koyak, who, albeit is a veteran, uh, but is a guy that's more along the lines of your, you know, your third to fourth tight end. So that being said, uh, we'll see if Ben Koyak even suits up this week and, um, or if he's inactive or whatever the case may be. And we'll also pay attention and be mindful of the situation Friday on the final injury report with uh, Josh Oliver, who uh, has been limited all week, and he's been trying to work his way back onto the field. We'll see if he makes it onto the field for the first time in his career. So that being said, uh, last quick hit is the Jags will enter as uh, favorites. And if I can recall, this is the first time they've been favorites all year. Against the New Orleans Saints this week, uh, they are 1.5-point favorites at that. So kind of uh, – I guess that was kind of shocking – uh, but I guess maybe, I don't know, Vegas is expecting the Jaguars to come back with their hair on fire after uh, the loss to the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, maybe they, they'll come back to what, uh, you know, the site is calling a homecoming and the social media page is calling a homecoming, the Jaguars social media page at least, uh, you know, as, as they have been on a two-day or a two-week trip away from home. They first it was uh, the Broncos, which we got a victory, of course, and then it was the Carolina Panthers who, uh, of course, we lost to uh, this past Sunday. So they're hoping the Jaguars or they're thinking the Jaguars will come back home with their hair on fire. Uh, of course, some things will need to get cleaned up. We'll talk about that later in terms of what to look forward to in terms of this matchup with the Jags and the Saints. Uh, but, yeah, that was very alarming to see that Vegas was indeed um, viewing us as the favorites as the New Orleans Saints, Teddy Bridgewater and uh, Alvin Kamara and Michael uh, Thomas will be coming into town. Of course, Drew Brees is hurt. Uh, just had th- thumb surgery last month, and uh, he's recovering very fast from that, at least from how the reports seem. But uh, he hasn't practiced, at least according to the injury report. So, yeah, expect Teddy Bridgewater to be the one getting the start in his home state of Florida against the Jaguars. So on into the topics at hand. Hopefully I can make this one uh, relatively quick since I'm doing it solo. Uh, we're going to take a look at the box score here and kind of give our analysis or my analysis. Uh, typically, it's Phil, the one 
doing all the talking here, but I'm gonna man the show uh somehow, some way here. Uh but yeah, take a look at the box score here. And uh of course leading the way for the Jaguars was Gardner Minshew, although he did have three fumbles. He had a career day in terms of a being a passer, uh twenty six of forty four. That was good for uh roughly uh fifty nine and some change percent. So uh, you know, he, he had a you know that in terms of the accuracy or or the completions, uh, you know that yeah, as odd as it seems because he's a rookie and he's so young and he doesn't really have a big body of, of work. Uh, not as strong in terms of you know completion percentage as he's been in his other starts, but nonetheless, again, like I said, he had a career day in terms of passing yards: three hundred seventy-four passing yards, almost hit four hundred there, and uh, had two touchdowns. And, uh, yeah, I think his rating was a 101.9, if I'm not mistaken, according to ESPN. So, you know, he again, he had the three fumbles, so that's really uh, what hurt him there. Uh, but you look on the other side, then there was Kyle Allen, 17 of 30, and uh, his rating on the day was 85.6. For the most part, you know, he handled his business, did what he had to do for the team. So, um in terms of rushing, Leonard Fournette had another 100-yard game, stacked his second consecutive one together, which is good because they need Leonard Fournette. And, of course, he's the engine of this offense, as John Filippo has said. Uh, had 23 carries, 108 yards, 4.7 average, and he got his first touchdown of the year. Uh, but, again, that uh, one of the things that's standing out is, you know, that average is, in, in terms of his last couple games, has been over that four point uh, zero mark which you know that's what we've been looking for out of Fournette especially at least for me uh in terms of you know in the improvements he had to make also being more available as well as he battled injuries uh this that and the other so that was a pretty good day on his behalf he did what he had to do came to life in the second half especially I think in the first half he kind of struggled uh but as we kind of talked about some of it is the offensive line who just they've been terrible for the most part this year um maybe we'll get into that later uh but continuing on receiving leading the way was dj chark who y'all saw the tweet that i put out and a lot of people are agreeing with this you know dj chark's beginning to look like a top eight top ten receiver uh today or or sunday he killed it crushed it has that chemistry with Gardner Minshew. obviously is his favorite target has what five touchdowns in the last four games of four of them going to Gartner. And of course the first one was to Nick Foles in game one against the Kansas city chiefs. Uh, but yeah, he was eight or he had eight receptions for 164 yards, two touchdowns on the day and uh, just absolutely killed it. His average was over 20 uh, point. Well, it was 20.5 on the day. So uh, that was a pretty good day out of him. Had 11 targets on the day. Uh, behind him was D.D. Westbrook. Almost hit that 100-yard mark. Had 82 yards. Didn't get a touchdown. Uh, but it was a good day out of him. And then in third was James O'Shaughnessy. Three catches for 57 yards. And as we all know, unfortunately, he didn't finish the game because of the ACL entry, which uh, we talked about earlier today. So that's how the Jaguars looked on offense on defense, let's check out the defensive stats. We'll just go through. Uh, we're not going to really go in-depth here because I'm going to talk about the defense later because they were the issue or one of the issues. But uh, Miles Jack led the way with nine tackles. He, I mean, most people would agree he still didn't really have a good game. 
Uh, he did have two pass uh, deflections, and then he had a tackle for loss. Uh, Ronnie Harrison was behind him, tied with Calais Campbell for six tackles on the day, total tackles, that is. And I think Calais had a half a sack. Uh, I do not remember who that was with. I think, oh, Avery Jones. It was with Avery Jones, by the way. Uh, and Josh Allen got a sack as well, by the way. So he's trending towards that 10-sack mark that I set, at least in terms of my bold predictions in the early uh, part of this year. Hopefully he'll make it there. Um, but the standout guy was Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, had four tackles, had two sacks. He's kind of came to life, or he came to life at least in this game because he was he started off the year slow, and that's kind of his thing. Like he starts off traditionally slow. Uh, another thing is like they've made it known. Marone and Calais Campbell has said that he's playing kind of injured. Calais went as far as saying a couple weeks ago that he's basically playing on one leg. So I would assume that they are referring to that hamstring injury that he had against the Houston Texans. That's kind of you know, those things kind of nag you throughout the season. And really, it's crazy because he's not on the injury report for that. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, it's just something that he maybe he's choosing on his end not to really look at as a issue or a big deal. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it actually might be uh, hampering him. But we'll see. Time will tell. Uh, maybe, you know, from this point, it's only upwards for him because, again, he starts off slow, then he kind of. He'll have that game where it's like, okay, he's going to get back to himself. And from there, it's uh, just better play all throughout the season. So in terms of the Panthers, I already gave y'all the passing statistics for Kyle Allen. Uh, Christian McCaffrey absolutely decimated the Russian uh, defense, had 176 yards and two touchdowns. He had a rushing or a receiving touchdown as well. So there was that. Uh, also, Reggie. Bonifon also went off on us, it, although albeit his uh, a bulk of his yards, I guess you could say, came from that one carry uh, that came. I think it was in the fourth quarter that he like burnt us for like unlimited amount. I think it was 59, 60 yards or something like that. But he was uh, he had five carries, 80 yards on the day. He had a touchdown, of course. So that's three rushing touchdowns in itself. And uh, Curtis Samuel also had some. Uh, receiving yards or some rushing yards on us. He had uh, two carries for 25 yards. That just kind of goes to show you what kind of day we had against the run. Again, we'll talk about that later in the good, bad, and ugly part of the podcast. And then um, in terms of receiving here, we got DJ Moore, who uh, I think he was like one of their more recent first-round picks or close to it. Uh, if it wasn't this year, it was last year. But anyway, six carries for 91 yards. I didn't get a, a touchdown or a receiving touchdown on the day, uh, but he had a relatively good day. And then uh, Christian McCaffrey, of course, as I already said, when I was mentioning the Russian statistics, he was second in terms of receiving, had 61 yards and a touchdown on the day. So he had a good day. And then um, Curtis Samuel came in. After that, um, in the third spot, in terms of their receiving, uh, he had three receptions for 19 yards on the day. So it wasn't too, too crazy on the receiving end, um, but it still was, you know, they had 181 yards on the day, which, you know, that's still kind of alarming. That's not that's not what I would call good. That's nearly 200 yards. <laughs> you add that with the Russian statistics, you know, that's just a crazy amount of yards just given up by the Jaguars defense, which again, we'll talk about later that we thought was supposed to be an elite unit. So uh, in terms of defensive statistics on the Panthers in Luke Keekley, 
Uh, no surprise there. He led the way with 12 tackles, 12 total tackles, had a tackle for loss, or he had a half a tackle for loss, if that makes sense. I had a pass deflection. Eric Reed wasn't too far behind him, made 10 tackles on the day. That kind of makes sense that the safety would be one of the more active tacklers on the day, especially when considering the day that DJ Chark had against them. Uh, again, and another thing, a plus to take into this is the Jaguars carved up what was the number one defense, passing defense, at least in football. So I, I don't know if that's still the case now. But, you know, here you have the six-round rookie in Gardner Minshew who uh, had this much success against uh, a, a defense of that caliber. You know, that's a, a good sign and something worth, you know, keeping in mind as Gardner Minshew continues to progress but um, I digress from my point. So Shaq Thomas, linebacker, he had nine tackles. Uh, Ross Cockrell, he had eight tackles. And uh, Javion Elliott had six. So um, instead of going into an overview of it like we would do, it, you know, if it was me, Phil, and Jacob, um, we'll go right into the good and the bad about the game. Because really, I guess this will serve as my overview of my good and bad takeaways from the game. So um, I'll kind of just let that speak for my overview for my overview or let that be my overview, should I say. And um, the good, we'll start with DJ Chark again, as I mentioned. He's looking like a top eight, the top ten receiver, man. Like, and I mean, everybody, you know, you can listen to the episodes in the past. I've, I've endorsed DJ Chark heavily, his ability to adapt to different quarterbacks, his size, his length, his speed. He's just a perfect combination of all of that. You know, we know he had the pedestrian and, and, and the rough season as a rookie last year. And, and, you know, he was a guy who was like, just give him some time, give him some time, give him some time. Uh, he, he has gotten that time. He spent a lot of time working on his craft. Keenan McCardell has done a good job with him. And, I mean, the receiver core in general. But uh, DJ Chark is really emerging as the number one guy for this offense in, in terms of receiving. And, you know, you pair that with Leonard Fournette and what he's doing, at least as of the last two games, um, and, and, you know, you, you got a nice little tandem going there, a nice little LSU tandem, uh, coincidentally. But uh, if you're looking at uh, statistic lead-wide statistics, uh, Leonard Fournette is leading the league in rushing in terms of the AFC, and DJ Chark is doing the same for the AFC in the receiving category. So, you know, you have two of the, at least for right now, Heading into week six, you have two of the better skilled guys with your rookie quarterback who's playing pretty good and looks to be the rookie of the year in terms of offensive rookie of the year, at least in terms of what he's doing right now. Uh, so it's a lot of good things going on on the offense, despite the line play, which is hard to get past. Uh, but nonetheless, DJ Chark showing up, showing out, uh, making me look like I know what I was talking about when when I uh, kind of gave my take on him and, and kind of endorsed him as, as the future for the Jaguars, at least as a receiver. So on the bad side of the run defense, as I mentioned, looked atrocious. They gave up 176 yards to McCaffrey. What they gave up 80 to uh, the running back behind him. Uh, two touchdowns they gave up on the ground. And then the other one um, came again from the uh, second string guy, uh, Bonifon, if I'm not mistaken. So that was three off the top of the head, three rushing touchdowns given up in over 200 yards in terms of rushing, uh, roughly, what, 280-ish, 260-ish. Um, I don't have the box score up anymore, but that is a lot of yardage to give up on the on the ground for a defense that 
came into this it, it came into this year as a t- as a unit that a lot of people were saying is elite this that and the other i'm guilty of it myself i'm starting to see that they aren't elite uh, which actually brings me to my next uh topic at hand which is you know i want to know from you all let me know in the comments um in terms of or, or let me know on twitter and uh, I might put this podcast up on uh, Facebook as well. Let me know in the comments how y'all feel about the Jaguars defense right now because, you know, I'm I'm going to go back on what I said. I, I don't think this team is elite no more in terms of the defense when looking at how they've played in terms of the first quarter of this season. It hasn't been pretty at all. And, um, I, you know, you can say a lot of it is probably due to Todd Wash. And his his inability to adapt, and we've seen this in the past. This is nothing new. The Jaguars have always been questionable against the run. Now they're looking pretty bad against the run. And one of the things I've noticed is, aside from the two divisional games, which came against the uh, the Titans, of course, which they shut Derrick Henry down, and then the other one was against the Texans. They had a pretty good, uh, uh, a decent day if you will, uh, against the Texans. They, they, I mean, they held them to, what, was it under 15 points or whatever the case may be. So, But aside from the teams that they are familiar with, you look at how they fared against the teams that they aren't familiar with, that they don't play twice a year. And it hasn't been pretty, to put it lightly. And Todd Wash, like, uh, going back to what I was saying to him, uh, even in 2017 when everybody was like, oh, Saxonville this, Saxonville that, we're elite, we're elite, we're elite. We, we even struggled against the run then. You know, that was the thing that always scared us, even in 2017 when we were making a Super Bowl push. It was like, you know, are the Jaguars going to have this hiccup against the run that we've seen them have here here and there? But that has transferred into, you know, 2018 and 2019. And on top of that, you know, people have figured out Todd Watch's defense. Um, you know, 2016, I think, was his first year. Uh, so, you, you know, they, they kind of figured it out. They figured out that he isn't good at adapting. Um, a, a lot of the brilliant offensive minds especially have taken advantage of him. Uh, the Colts game against Frank Wright and company stick out, of course. Um, the Chiefs games, uh, both of the times we played the Chiefs with Todd Wash as the coordinator. Uh, you know, so Andy Reid, you know, these guys that not even them sometimes, like they, he'll have a hiccup against some of the, uh, guys that aren't like the top tier offensive minds in football, and it's alarming. And I, you know what? I just really don't think Todd Wash. I've kind of said this on the site. Uh, I think I said it in my takeaways. I don't think he has much longer. And I think Doug Marone, you know, while the season is still, you know, we got a reasonable record, he might want to pull the plug because obviously Todd Wash isn't getting better from year to year. It's still the same stuff that we're struggling with. You know, it's kind of a bland approach as well in terms of the schematics uh, and, and it needs to be addressed. I mean, I know they sprinkle some four, three uh, things or some three, four things into there, but really it's kind of much of the same. And uh, you know, it's, it's getting tiresome and, and Doug Marone needs to, you know, if he's having this conversation with himself, he probably should have did it. I said this earlier, he probably should have did it earlier in the year when he was making all of these coaching changes and, shuffling up the squad he Todd Wash should have been a part of those you know he let go and replace with somebody else but uh right now while the season is is like I said we have a reasonable record you know uh maybe it's time to make that change because I don't think this is going to get any better the Saints scare the living daylights out of me 
in terms of what they could do against him and Sean Payton. You know, that, that I mean, just think about that. Sean Payton against Todd Wash, y'all. Like, that's scary in itself, man. And <laughs> I think the best chance the Jags have of winning this game is the Saints shooting themselves in the foot. And Lord forbid if Drew Brees was playing, you know, but if Drew Brees was playing, it, that would definitely – uh, be in their favor and there was no way that Vegas would have saw the Jaguars as the favorites um, but yeah that, that's the matchup right there that should just scare the daylights even without uh, Drew Brees it should scare people Jags fans that we have Todd Wash up against the great Sean Payton in terms of a matchup in terms of a, a coach to coordinator matchup and uh, it probably won't be pretty even though Teddy Bridgewater is nothing uh, like Drew Brees, uh, he, he's a he's a decent quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater hasn't been as good as I expected him to be either personally, but that's another story for another time because I'm a big Teddy Bridgewater fan. But I think what it is is like, of course, there's going to be a huge drop off when you're going from like the all time passing leader in, in throwing or, or um, in passing in terms of Drew Brees to Teddy Bridgewater. And again, you know, Drew Brees has been under this system for many, many years, so. You know, of course, it'll be a drop off. So I guess that's unfair of me to expect, you know, close to Drew Brees' production for this offense. But um, I digress from my point there. So all of that said, though, um, Todd Washman, you got to step it up. But I just think it's time and Doug Marone needs to make that change, uh, whether that's Dom Capers, who I'm not really I'm not the biggest Dom Capers fan either. If I can recall correctly, he uses a lot of uh zone as well so i'm um, not too high on that i would like to personally see more man-to-man coverage although i mean that's kind of hard to do uh in todd wise's defense with uh jalen ramsey out in his situation so but still um not the highest on dom capers i know a lot of people been calling for him uh, but at the least dom capers is a guy that could make adjust adjustments uh midway through the game or throughout the game whenever needed i, I think at least to the point where the defense isn't struggling to this extent, in my opinion. So in terms of continuing to the good, don't want to harp on the bad too much. Uh, Leonard Fournette, as I said, had another good day. Second consecutive 100-yard game. Second consecutive game in which he had an average of over four. Um, four yards a carry, should I say. Uh, got his first touchdown of the game. Came to life in that second half. Um, you know, and if I were... Rush defense was remotely, and I know I said I don't want to harp on the bad, but if our rush defense was remotely decent, you know, he could have matched wits with Christian uh, with Christian McCaffrey there, who, uh, you know, coincidentally, they were drafting in the same class in the first round, top 10 picks there. But he could have matched up better against him, uh, which, again, that's not Leonard's fault. And this game would have been a lot tighter, and it would have been, in terms of the rushing statistics, it would have been a lot tighter as well and a lot closer uh, because the the game that Christian McCaffrey had is overshadowing the game that Leonard Fournette had, which, you know, Leonard Fournette, again, before last week uh, against the Broncos or week before last, he was really struggling minorly and he's come to life. And, you know, it, he's kind of getting overlooked as odd as that is in terms of what he did last Sunday against the Panthers because of how his, you know, his teammates in terms of the Russian defense uh, performed against Christian McCaffrey. But nonetheless, that didn't go under the radar under my eyes. Uh, good job, Leonard Fournette, because I've been one of his harshest critics. And um, I still feel like we should have went quarterback instead of him. I'll still stand by my guns there. But, hey, now we got Minshew. 
So like that's a that's something that I don't even have to really harp on anymore now that we have Minshew and hopefully he continues to uh, improve and and be a franchise quarterback. What how dope would that be out of Gardner Minshew? So continuing on to the bad uh, fumbles, which <laughs> coincidentally I was just talking about Minshew. He had three fumbles. Um, you know the turnover margin was heavily in the Panthers' favor. It was three to zero. I mean you you have a three to zero turnover margin. To a team that good, you're going to lose. I mean, Doug Marone said it. The world knows that, you know, that's uh, that goes without saying, you know. And, I mean, again, uh, Minshew is a rookie, um, you know. And I have said, you know, he's going to have that rookie moment in terms of a game. Uh, I don't necessarily want to say he had it here. Uh, I thought he could. That's what I said in the last podcast because, obviously, the Panthers were the number one passing uh, defense in football. Uh, but, and I guess you could say it kind of did reflect in terms of his uh, completions. He was what, what was it? 59% on the day or, or 60% or something like that. But he really, you know what I'm saying? All things considered, uh, he looked good against that Panthers defense. As I said, that number one ranked passing defense. And uh, it was quite impressive for the most part, aside from these fumbles, which, you know, that cost the Jags dearly. Of course, one was taken back by uh, Brian Burns, who, you know, a lot of, I'm with them, too. A lot of people were saying it was playing a little dirty, hitting Minshew a little low. And then you see them take the picture with each other uh, after the game as the um, the rookies of the month on both sides of the ball. Uh, but that being said, um, you know, the, the turnovers really hurt the Jags here. And, of course, you know, with a team like the Jags where the margin of error is so small still. And because and it's crazy. The margin of error used to be small because of Blake Bortles. Now the margin of error is small because the defense doesn't get turnovers. It's crazy how these things work out and things change from year to year. Uh, but, you know, there's something Gartner can get cleaned up. Um, you know, sometimes he tries to do too much. You know, that's just the type of quarterback he's kind of developing it into, especially with the offensive line struggles. You know, he has to make plays out of nothing and dodge a lot of defenders, as we saw with the Denver Broncos, and make these crazy plays. But nonetheless, I'm sure it's something they stressed in practice, uh, ball security, taking care of the ball better uh, because, and, and Del Marone actually said it, if I can recall, you know, they want to be, in terms of the turnover margin, they want to be zero or in the positive in terms of the turnover margin because typically if you are in the negatives, you're going to lose this game. So, Hopefully they can get that clean up. I know that they're probably addressing that and harping that in uh, this week's mini practice sessions. And uh, we'll see against the New Orleans Saints if, uh, you know, Gardner Minshew can get that clean up, which um that kind of segues into my next uh, and last part of the good and the bad. Uh, Gardner Minshew, despite the fumbles, kept the Jaguars in the game. It's funny how a quarterback, and, you know, we preached this on the Jags then many, many times, how a quarterback can mitigate your other flaws. Despite the three fumbles, he kept the Jaguars in the game to the end. They had a chance to tie it up in the end. They they had the last possession. I uh, just couldn't get it in there. And, uh, you know, his kind of his lack of arm strength, if you will, uh, kind of showed up in the Hail Mary attempts. But um, still, nonetheless, man, for them to even be in that game, especially given granted what they gave up to Christian McCaffrey and granted the game that Todd Wash called, it's just crazy, and uh, it just kind of goes to show you, you know, what we've been saying all these years is that, you know, with a quarterback, you can uh, you can make up for a lot of your flaws, and uh, we almost saw a case of that in this case. Uh, we saw it last week against the Denver Broncos, and 
That was almost the case again against the Carolina Panthers. It was almost the case against the Houston Texans. We were literally inches away from winning that one. And, you know, that would have been another comeback on Gardner Minshew's records. So, you know, he still was impressed with him. Had his career day in terms of passing uh, 374 yards again. As I said, had two touchdowns. That's kind of his thing. He's a two-touchdown guy. I think he's had two touchdowns in, like, his last three games or something. So uh, no interceptions. That was good, although, again, you know, the fumbles were there. So he had some form of turnovers. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to see what he can do against this Saints defense, which in terms of passing defense, they aren't nearly as good as the Panthers. So, you know, if he can kind of ride the momentum in, of, of of this past Sunday and uh, eliminate the fumbles, you know, he could probably have a good game. And, uh, I, I mean, just based off of how Teddy Bridgewater has played, he can outplay Teddy Bridgewater in this game. I guess we'll have to see what other variables play into whichever team wins the game. But, you know, it wouldn't shock me that, you know, Gardner Minshew outdoes Teddy Bridgewater in this game in terms of statistics. But we'll have to see. So all of that said, we're going to advance forward and look into the Saints game this Sunday uh, and, and not so much harp on the past anymore. The game's behind us. We're now two and three. Uh, hopefully we can get back to 500, uh, which would, you know, it, it would kind of be still be an upset for me because of the, I think in terms of when you look at these two teams in terms of coaching, uh, I think the Saints far, or should I say are far better than us, despite Doug Marone actually being a former Saints assistant. So uh, that being said, we're going to look ahead and uh, what and look at some things that has to happen for the Jaguars to win uh, this Sunday. I think me personally can't speak for Phil and Jacob. Of course, uh, we got to we got to tighten up against the run if that's even possible. I mean, just looking at the film, of course, you know, they and this has been said, you know, linebackers didn't fill their gaps or were moved out of their gaps, this, that and the other. But uh, Mark Long actually made a good point on the uh the teal and black blitz or the black and teal blitz i might have it backwards but he made a good point but the safeties aren't uh making the plays when the linebackers can't make the plays and kind of minimize the gains here uh because i mean we all know it's you know it's three levels to a defense of course and uh yeah yeah i can definitely agree with that i mean the linebackers yeah the linebackers to me are kind of the bulk of it uh but at the same time like you know, if, if the safeties are in position nine times out of ten, they can uh, they can kind of minimize the gain and not make it look uh, like these very explosive plays that we saw with Christian McCaffrey and uh, Bonifon, who just gashed us tremendously in each and every way. Uh, especially McCaffrey, he he gashed us in the passing game as well. So, you know, all of that said, um, I think more so the linebackers and safeties need to tighten up against the run. Uh, the defensive line could afford to tighten up too against the run. They they aren't blameless in this situation, uh, but I, I think the back seven uh, could really be a lot better, so to speak, against the run. So we'll see. Um, again, not the biggest believer in Todd Wash anymore. Don't like that he's going against Sean Payton here, and uh, it wouldn't shock me if Alvin Kamara, who was actually on my fantasy team, uh, had a good game rushing the ball. I, I don't think he's had a hundred yard game this year. And if he has, it's only been one. Uh, it wouldn't shock me that this would be the game. And I don't want that to be the case, even though he's on my fantasy team. 
Uh, I'll take the L if the Jaguars can get the win by shutting him down. I'll be fine with that. I'll be more than fine with that. So next on my list is uh, they have to start creating turnovers and winning the turnover margin, which we already kind of referred to. But um, I don't think the Jaguars have won the turnover margin in any of their five games. I have to look back at that, actually. But, um, of course, looking back at Sunday, they lost that battle three to zero. Of course, you know, when you lose the turnover margin that badly, uh, <laughs> there's no way you probably going to win the game. I don't know what the percentage is. Uh, when the turnover margin is that much in favor of the other team, uh, but I would think it's not very high, or or there are no wins for the team on the wrong end of that, if any at all. So they got to win the turnover margin, even if it's just one to zero. You know what I'm saying, or, or one to negative one. Uh, they got to win the turnover battle, and and you know preferably they got to get a, a a nice return out of the turnover that you know they get, or or the turnovers that they get. Uh, if not a pick six, you know, they, they need that kind of an impact play that they used to get from uh, from the defense back in 2017, which, again, we, we harped on how they struggled against the run. Well, how they made up against struggling against the run in 2017 was making impact plays. And they were like, what, third in the turnover margin when the year ended or something like that. I think they were like positive uh, eight, nine or ten in 2017. So that made up for their struggles against the run. They need impact plays, impact turnovers against this Saints offense uh, that could, if, if you let them get hot, they'll run away with this game. So that's another thing that needs to be done here. Uh, Miles Jack needs to play better. He needs to play to his contract. He's been terrible this year. No ifs, ands, or buts. And I'm a Miles Jack fan. I mean, if y'all can recall, uh, I don't know if it's been on this podcast or if it's been at, as I was corresponding on the radio uh, with Fox Sports in Valdosta, but Miles Jack is one of my favorite players on this team. And I've always said he's the most versatile player I've ever watched on film in my life. When I watched the man at UCLA, he played like on the defense line. He played safety. He played cornerback against Nelson Aguilar and shut him down. So, you know, right now, just fast forward in the present day, uh, he's not playing to his second round pick status. And, you know, that's kind of one of my bones with this front office too, by the way is how they prioritize, you know, taking care of these contracts. Wait, not even like if you take Jalen out of the equation because they had the fifth-year option with him, it's fine that they wanted to take care of Jalen later down the road and not this year. But you prioritize Miles Jack, a linebacker, over a franchise pass rusher, potentially Yannick Ngakwe. And granted, Yannick has started off slow as well, but he can catch fire. And as we saw in at least – in the last game Sunday, he did his part, had the four tackles, had the two sacks, and I'm sure more is to come. Uh, but, you know, it, if you most front office, when you prioritize those two positions, uh, the defensive end position and the linebacker position, most front offices would take care of the defensive end position first. You know, and, and I don't think the Jaguars put enough effort in getting Yannick and Gakwe signed. I know they shot him an offer, this, that, and the other, but – it just felt like from the reports that they didn't really put forth the effort that you should put forth to get uh, a guy who's, you know, so key to your success on defense, especially against the pass in this pass happy league. And, uh, you know, now it's biting them because had they signed Yannick Ngakwe, you, you can kind of live with the start that Yannick got and the fact that he has the potential to uh, gain steam throughout the rest of the season. Cause that's, that's just kind of his thing. But, you know, 
looking at it now, they definitely paid Miles Jack a little too soon. And I mean, like, Miles Jack didn't really particularly play well last year. And the Jaguars, their front office just has this issue with paying people after they had a questionable year or a year that necessarily didn't necessarily warrant uh, extension. And and Blake Bortles is the other case. I mean, yeah, sure, we went to the playoffs, uh, but at the same time, there were some signs there that Blake Bortles probably wasn't your quarterback of the future. Like putting up just 10 points in the playoffs against the Buffalo Bills, who albeit was a good defense. But you look at how sporadic Blake was that year. You know, that's not a guy that I would feel comfortable with being $16 million on the hook for in terms of how sporadic he was. Even in that year, we went to the playoffs and almost went to the Super Bowl. He was very sporadic. And me and Jacob actually talked about that. You know, that was something that Jacob was saying, like, hey, (laughs) he kind of was lucky that year. And I can't disagree with him there. So that being said, uh, you know, that just paying Miles Jack over Yannick and Gakwe really looks bad now. And, um, you know. I guess time will tell if he can play up to his contract. There's plenty of season left, and uh, we'll, we'll see. And um, there's plenty of time left to get Yannick in, uh, a deal as well. So I uh, just wanted to vent my frustrations there, I guess, if you will, with the front office. And something that I, I kind of disagree with, not to say that Jack didn't deserve to get paid, but they kind of prioritized that wrong, and it's kind of rearing his head now. So moving on. Um, the other thing that needs to be addressed is the offense needs to take care of the ball. We talked about that. They got to do better there. Gardner Minshew can't have clearly in this game, can't have three uh, fumbles in this game. And I mean, because that kind of, you know, especially depending on how impactful uh, those fumbles are, that kind of, you know, regardless as to how good of a game he has as a passer, it won't matter if you got three fumbles, basically, is what I'm trying to say. So uh, hopefully Minshew will take care of that. You know, they've talked about that all week in the press conferences. That's, that's some of their trying to address and they, they want to get better at. So we'll see if they actually do. So the last thing that needs to happen in this game is the Jacksonville Jaguars need to stop Michael Thomas. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, you know, obviously having Jalen Ramsey there would help them tremendously in doing that. But then again, you know, Ty Wash, like I say, the way he play, he calls plays, Michael Thomas could eat us up even with Jalen Ramsey. So I don't, I don't know, man. But yeah, definitely, I, I do feel like if Jalen Ramsey was there, that would definitely help the Jaguars' defense to match up with his offense better. And granted, again, Teddy Bridgewater is no Drew Brees, but still, no Michael Thomas scares me, especially if Ramsey isn't there and he's um, you know, going against a a secondary with Trey Herndon and a secondary that, like I said, at times this these safeties have struggled as well. They're young. Um, that's beginning to show, obviously. So, you know, of course, you know, we have A.J. Boye still, but, uh, you know, Sean Payton is such an excellent mind. He's going to move Thomas around. He's not going to be matched up on A.J. Boye a lot unless, you know, the Jaguars just flat out use a lot of man-to-man coverage where he's like flat out trailing him or whatever the case may be. But, yeah, this is a scary situation with Michael Thomas against this secondary, and it's a scary situation to, uh, with Michael Thomas going against Todd Washington even more so. It's a scary situation with Michael Thomas going into this game with Jalen Ramsey uh, potentially not being there. So I, I guess we'll monitor his situation. The injury report, the final one, comes out tomorrow. We'll see if he, you know, he's been limited all week. We'll see if he plays. Uh, personally, I'm just going to say it. You know, my gut tells me he's probably – not going to play, in my opinion. Um, but if he did, that would be huge for the Jags, obviously, as he's their best player and he can help them eliminate 
their best player or arguably one of their best players. Um, I guess you could say Kamar. Well, Drew Brees, obviously, and then Kamar, then probably Michael Thomas. So that being said, we're going to wrap it up. I think we're at the roughly 49-ish minute mark, if I uh, can look at this correctly on my roadcaster. Um, of course, you can follow us on the uh, various or, or listen to this podcast in our archives on multiple platforms on the web, iTunes most notably, Rate, comment, subscribe, share with your friends. Uh, SoundCloud, uh, actually disregard that, no SoundCloud. Uh, our first few episodes are on SoundCloud, but I haven't updated it with the rest of the episodes, and I haven't bought a new SoundCloud package. Uh, but we're also on TuneIn, Stitcher, Audio Boom, of course, with our USA Today comrades. In terms of what I got working on or what I got going, of course, I'm going to be preparing everybody for the New Orleans Saints putting out more articles on some things to watch on the Saints and maybe might even do a depth chart review on the Saints. I know I haven't done one in a couple of weeks in terms of the opposition. Now, I started off this year doing them, but, um, you know, it's, it's kind of been a busy year. So all of that said, though, uh, we will have the latest in news heading up into uh, Sunday's game against the New Orleans Saints as they'll be coming into TIAA Bank Field uh, for what hopefully could be a win that gets the Jaguars back at 500. So all of that said, um, shout outs to Jacob, shout outs to Phil. Hopefully we'll have them back uh, again. Follow them underscore Jadella, Phil the Filipino on Twitter. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get the boys back and we can do a, a full padded practice, if you will, or a full padded podcast uh, for episode, I guess, what would it be? 53, if I'm not mistaken. So All of that said, James Johnson here, managing editor of the Jaguars Wire, signing out. And as we always say in every pod, typically Jacob does, but he's not here. So I'll say it for him. Miles Jack was not down and you all have a good night.